Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I can have what it says I can have. Uh, today, I boldly declare, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, help. Amen. All right. <laughs> we were the married folk. I need all the help I can get. Angels of help, angels of wealth. I need every angel. All right, so we're going to go straight into it because I am trying to give you a crash course of what really needs to be like six hours. So if you are just receptive, we can just go bam, bam, bam. So I need everybody to have an anointing to hear this accent and delineate. And whatever accent you need to hear it so you understand it, then Lord may it be so, so I don't have to slow down. Because I don't want to have to say, turn your Bibles. I just want to say, turn up all the Bibles. <laughs> all right. You ready? I am so ready for you. <laughs> yes, Lord of mercy. Okay, you're going to turn to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. So today I'm talking about house of mirrors. House of mirrors, house of mirrors. And so when Eben and I were just friends, <laughs> you know about those, right? Just friends. Yeah, no, but we were really just friends. And so when we were just friends, I remember we were at his mom's house because I ended up having to cross over before I went on my missions trip to uh, South Africa where I lived for a couple of months. And so I, uh, we were watching I Love Lucy. So watching I Love Lucy and... I'm, of course, I was talking through the I Love Lucy because I can't help it. So then he took the remote and went like this to mute me. <laughs> to mute me. And so when he went over like this to mute me, I didn't understand that joke, okay? So all I saw in my peripheral vision was a hand coming at me. So I went like, whoa, matrix. I thought he was going to hit me. And I I was like, what? Wait, what you doing? He said, I'm just trying to mute you. I said, wait, hold on, hold on. I didn't see that. I didn't think of that. And we had to have a conversation because if we did not resolve that issue right then, I would have continued to think, that he was now an unsafe space and an unsafe place for me. So I had to try to locate why did I think that he was trying to assault me instead of just playing? Where was this coming from? Now, I already told you I was dataholic. So I had dated many people, but nobody had ever beat me. If anything, I beat them. Don't, don't, don't say that. No. <laughs> I just left, I just left quick, you know what I'm saying? I was like the runaway bride. So, uh, <laughs> but what had happened was my mom used to hit me. And she didn't slightly hit me. I don't even think she hit Che. Che, she hit you? You recall any of that? No. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yes, drowned in your, in your subconscious. But I used to get, I mean, I used to get the beats. You know, I got beat from the helper, beat from, you know, my mom. 
But then there was this one fight that they had. And this was a mega fight. I mean, this was the worst fight. And my mom and dad had this major fight. I mean, and they were going at it. And we were so afraid. And at the end of this fight, she packed us up in the car and took us to this new place. And I did not want to leave because I really wanted to stay with my dad. And I realized in my head at that moment, I had began to accept an untruth that there really is never going to be a safe place. And so even though it wasn't in my close relationships or my intimate relationships, it was in my family relationship. And so I want to talk about house of mirrors because when we are interacting with each other in our marriage relationships, we are reflecting something that may not be real. And we may be reflecting someone else's temperament, someone else's personality, someone else's image. And so now when you and I are communicating with each other, we're not really communicating with each other. We're communicating with 10 other people. And we're popping off and getting irritated. And division and the enemy is winning us over toothpaste and toilet paper. Not because it's a toothpaste and toilet paper issue, but it's because how I think you see me and how I see myself seeing you see me. And so today I want to un- just unwrap that because all of us have had some kind of drama and some kind of trauma happen to us. And if we never resolve the trauma, there'll always be drama. So you're in Genesis 2? Genesis 2? Okay, so go to verse 25. And this is what it says. Oh, well, it wouldn't be Genesis 2, 25. How about we start at Genesis 1, 25? Yeah, let's try that. Genesis 1, 25. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is our foundation scripture, Genesis 1 and 2. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And am I there? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me find it because that's not where I really want to go. Okay, so we know that God gave dominion there, but I'm trying to find, yes. Okay, so Genesis 2.25, let's start it again. And God made them blah, blah, blah in his likeness and dominion over the fish of the sea and all of that, right? So we know that's the identity that God had prescribed. Now go to chapter 3. Now go to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said, what did he do? Said. He said unto the woman. So the very first thing that trauma starts with is always going to be a conversation somewhere. Distractions are going to start with a conversation somewhere. He said unto the woman, yeah, has God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Yeah, your husband say he love you, but I don't see him doing this. Yeah, she said she love you, but she keeps talking to her mom. Okay. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You're not going to die? Girl, please. There's nobody else on here. Well, God don't want no other people here. You're not going to die. It's going to be all right. It's not as bad. 
And the serpent said, you won't die. For God surely knows in the day that you eat it, your eyes are going to be open and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. God trying to hold you back, girl. God trying to hold you back, man. He's trying to hold you back. He's a party pooper. He's always trying to take away. He's just trying to dull your shine. He's trying to kill your spirit. All these rules and regulations and order that he has for this marriage. No, you don't have to do all that. You can stop a little bit. Because surely it's not going to be as bad. Verse 6. And when the woman saw, he said, and then she saw. So now a picture has been created in her mind. Now God had already told her who she was. She would have dominion. They would be over the fowl of the air and all of that kind of stuff. They were created in the image of God. So there already, God had already said something. But here comes something to challenge what God had said. And when the woman saw from this idea that the, the serpent was painting, that it was pleasant to the eyes, then she desired it. So they spoke, she saw, she desired. But at any stage of this game, she could have stopped. At that text, she could have stopped. Maybe you went beyond the text and now an image is in your mind. You could have stopped there too. You see, trauma is sometimes it's brutal and sometimes it's subtle. But it's coming after what God has said. And then it says, to desire to make one wise, that's verse 6. She took of the fruit therefore and did eat and gave it unto her husband and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig uh, leaves together and made themselves aprons. Something changed. When something happened to them that was not the will of God, when something occurred in their life that was contrary to the value that God was placing on them, something changed. They now thought... They were naked. They didn't know they were naked because they were in such a safe place before. They could be naked and unashamed. But what we do is this. When you and I meet each other, we don't introduce ourselves naked and unashamed. We introduce our best selves. Our public relation team comes out. We have got our weave sewn in tight. We have on our men girdle. Listen. Yeah, they got them for men too. Don't hate. He don't want big thighs either. And so what happens is we come and we're saying all this thing. We rehearse our resume, our good points, our strong points. We're advertising for this relationship that we want. Because on the inside, we know who we are. We know what has been done to us. We know what we have done to others. And so we don't want to bring that person to you. That person is distorted. You know? You go this way and it's like ten of me. You go this way, I expand past the mirror. Just depends on how you look. It's not the right image. 
But that's who I know. That's who I think I am. So I don't want to show you that person. I'm going to show you this person that Ruby put together today. And these lashes, if it get too hot in here and they start sliding down my face, don't worry about it. I am aware. <laughs> and when I pass this all your lashes on your cheek, I know, I know it's going to be right there. But that's not the real person. And so we come together and this is what happens to her. And he said, uh, he said, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord called Adam and said, where are you? Where did you go? Who are you? What happened? We had a thing going on. Who caught you up? Who got you distracted? And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid. When did you become afraid? Because I was naked. Something was taken from me. I was stripped down to the core. And I didn't realize I was now exposed. I don't have anything else left. So I started to hide God even from you. Which self were they hiding? You never hide the self you're supposed to be. You hide the self you're not supposed to be. (laughs) The person you know you're not supposed to be, the things you know you're not supposed to do, that's what you hide. That's why your cell phone can't just be beside your spouse and they know your password. Let's talk about that. Your spouse should be able to look in your phone at any point and any time in the day. Straight up facts. If you have to have this encrypted, triple, barricaded password life, it's a you you're trying to hide. And if you're trying to hide that, that's not for you. It's better to live up in the open. Take it from me. I've been in the dark and I've been in the light. And boy, the light feels so much better. It's, oh, it's bright out there, but boy, I feel better. The dark is exhausting. I got to lie. I got to, oh my God, there's so much stuff I got to do to pretend. It's too much. It's too much pressure. Just live up in the light. Amen? Okay, we all in light. I just thought it's fine. I'm trying to save y'all. I've been married 25 years in December. It's been a minute. Okay, so who told you? And he said, who told you? Who started this conversation with you that you were actually naked? Did you do something you're not supposed to do? And so many of us are reflecting that. So how does trauma look? How does trauma look? Because I'm going to give you a crash course. You all ready? Okay. What is trauma? Because I have my own definition, married with one of the, I don't know, Merriam-Webster. They say it's a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. But I added, this experience has a who and a when, but oftentimes lacks a why. Why did that happen? And because we can't answer why, it is an open, there's no closure to it. So who? It can be an individual, it can be a group, or it can be a spirit. It can be a teacher who speaks 
and paints an idea in your head about your identity and says that you're stupid or you're not going to pass or, you know, you're dumb or we're going to label you. Let me tell you a, a, a story that just happened to me. So um, Landon just went into the fifth grade and he was in the fourth grade. And so I had to fight for his grades twice with his teacher in one big test. Uh, he and I went over the whole thing and she put some instructions right before the test and said, when you get to number nine, do this and this. That's amazing if you're an auditory learner. But my son is not an auditory learner. He's like me. We don't like to listen. We don't hear nothing. <laughs> we like to see and do, okay? We like to see and do. So we are kinetic and visual learners. So she did that. Well, she never had him write it down. She didn't write it on the board. She just only said it. So when he got there, he answered everything in that section right, but she added another layer and he didn't answer it, so she marked in section whole wrong. So I had to fight with her and say no. So that incident happens. We sort that out. She talked about she had to go to the math department. No, child, you don't need 10 people. Fix the grade. Okay? Like why we haven't need a counselor. You did it wrong. It's in print. In a court of law, this would work. <sighs> you got to fight for your kids. Did you hear me? Fight for your kids. Don't believe the teacher first. Believe your kid first. I don't believe it the other way. I believe them and I say, I believe that you will not lie to me. So whatever you say to me is 100% true. So I will flash out, I will flesh out, I will devil level out because of what you said. So if you don't want me to clone everybody on a lie, then please make sure you are telling me the truth. Amen? Amen. So this year, the new teacher calls me. You know, Miss Connor, we're thinking of, you know, there's extra tutoring from Landon. This is week one. We haven't done nothing but found out what color the binder is. We're not doing nothing at school. We're doing nothing. And she's that, uh, you know, he may need tutoring. Why? Did you evaluate him? No, but I spoke to his last teacher. Did you? And what she say? And she said, well, you know, um, it seems like he was having difficulty last year. I said, with an A? He had a difficult one. I said, let me tell you something, ma'am. I said, Landon, not going to the tutoring. Because first of all, Landon is two years younger than everybody in this class. Let's start there. Okay? Secondly, you are already trying to put onto him a label without giving him time to prove who he is to you. You are going on someone else's previous experience and you want to tie him up. And if he gets the message within the first seven days of school that I have to be pulled out and trained, he's going to believe a lie that he's stupid when he's the youngest person in the fifth grade at the smartest school. So no, ma'am, I decline your reassignment of his identity that he is not intelligent and brilliant. We can talk about this later. If you don't catch that, you will become that. And so trauma can begin in just a simple lie like that. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not best enough. And now you're in this marriage. And any time a correction comes to you, you see it as a confrontation. Anytime some adjustment is required, you see it as an affront. Because you have accepted a lie that was told to you by an influential other. It can be a parent, a friend, an ex. And so your ex is now in your current mess, in your current relationship. 
what they did or didn't do to you, you're spending your current relationship trying to defend and resist repeating the last relationship. So this person doesn't even have a real you. They have an expanded you. They have a multiple personality you. They've got a you that hides behind here and comes out to play every now and then. But they don't have the real you because you don't even know the real you. Because the you you're, no, it's not even the you you were. It have, it's a when. So trauma has a who and it has a when. They're defining moments that you can pinpoint and recall that something happened to you that you know shouldn't have happened. Because why? It created shame. It created a pulling away. It created a putting up a guard. Or it created a personal vow. I never. I will never. No one will ever. Not another time. Those are all vows. I will never let anybody abuse me again. I will never let anybody embarrass me again. So now you become the aggressor. You have this wall around you. And it is like the rock of Gibraltar. And let there be light. (laughs) And so it has a defining moment. And you can pinpoint some of those moments right now. I need you to pinpoint some of these moments because the enemy is using these and holding you hostage. What was it? Who was it? When was it? That made you feel this big? When God said, you're in my image, you're this big. But now you need validation all the time, over and over and over. You need approval. You need applause. You need companionship. You need camaraderie. Every one of us has these needs. But when we don't know who we are and we're functioning in a trauma cycle, what ends up happening to us is now we will sacrifice the rest of our needs for a main need and hate ourselves for it. You can be in an abusive situation and not feel like you can come out because really what you want more than everything is not that it's not that safety is most important is that touch is more important. So even though you need attention, even though you need approval, even though you need affirmation, even though you need sexual satisfaction, even though you have those different things, the fact that affection is your number one thing, you will sacrifice every other need just for affection and stay in unhealthy situations. You won't draw boundaries in your marriage relationship. So we're talking to each other any kind of way we want to talk to each other. And we, we don't set a boundary because what? Maybe our, fair, uh, our, our greatest wound was abandonment. We don't want anyone to leave. So if you're starting to yell at me, or you're starting to speak to me away, or you're starting to belittle me, I'm not going to draw that line because I don't want you to leave me. Versus saying, you know what, hold on. When you calm down and you can speak to me as a partner, then we can have a conversation. But right now I'm going to vote with my feet and I'm going to turn this corner here. And when you can speak to me like I'm calmly speaking to you, then we can converse. And you move. You have the right to set healthy boundaries based on the word of God and how God wants things to operate. We talked about here, grace for the hearer. You're not applying grace to this ear right now. 
Well, you just don't want to be corrected. You know what? And you may be right. So how about we separate for a second, go pray about it, get ourselves together, get our emotions in check, and come back and, and get a healthy conversation going. Right? Okay. And then uh, it's well, right? So we put in prove, uh, prove, uh, protective measures to deal with trauma. Trauma doesn't have a logical reason why. A car crash. Why were they drinking? Why did they? A loss. A miscarriage. Why did it happen to me? Sometimes you can't locate a actual why. Right? Cycles of poverty. Why am I stuck here and other people are doing that there? You know, physical abuse. Sudden death. Like why would that person just be gone out my life? These are all traumatic situations. But we're not alone. Moses was a baby and uh, he was pushed down the river while Pharaoh was killing everybody his age. Trauma. And he's raised by the people who was trying to kill him. Drama. <laughs> Joseph was thrown into a pit, what? By his brothers. Who was supposed to be protecting him because they didn't like what he said. Trauma. Hannah was bawling in the temple, crying her eyes out because of the persecution of Peniel. Who kept saying, you're less than Hannah, you're less than, you're not going to have this baby. Samson got his life wrecked by the wrong woman. Trauma. He lost his whole, you know, identity and everything. She, she, you know, it just was a mess, hot mess. That was a real hot mess right there. Esther was an orphan. That's traumatic. Not knowing who your parents were, being dislocated from a place of identity. Trauma. The widow lost her, la- her child. Trauma. Tamar got raped by her brother. And many of us have gotten molested by people close to us, boys and girls. A lot of times we make it a woman's issue. But a lot of men have been assaulted too. But it's so shameful to talk about the assault that when you come into a relationship, you either get super aggressive to make sure you can dominate because nobody will ever control me. I'll never be weak again. Or you get super passive. I just submit to anything because I'm afraid. But sexual assault is a trauma and you have to deal with it. Because it makes your identity try to tell you a story that's not true. Trauma will happen to everybody, everybody, nobody's exempt. But the most dangerous thing about trauma is it threatens to steal your identity and assign you a new one. And even more dangerous than that is when we often accept it and begin functioning in a trauma-filled personality. So now we surround ourselves with trauma-filled people. And we get with people not because we're whole, not because we're healthy, but we get with people because they can understand. Yeah, you've been through a hard time, I've been through a hard time too, but none of us know how to help each other because we've both been through a hard time. (laughs) Or we go on rebound relationships. The last relationship was bad, and I did not wait long enough to get healed, and you were going through one too, and you didn't wait long enough to get healed, and we just did this. And now we're in it, and we're like, oh my God, like, wow. Wow, ooh. Where's your representative? I want them back. Bring out the PR club. Because <laughs> we realize, what? This is some funny stuff right here. Your mama crazy. You know, just saying. 
So uh, PJ and Sly and uh, Miss Sabrina, I'm going to give you a little example here. And we have a few minutes left. Okay, so this is what happens. All right. Okay, so everybody always pick on you. How about, okay, you got the end. You got the end. <laughs> All right, Miss Sabrina, you're going to stand right here. Mr. Sly. All right. So when trauma is happening, this is what happens. Before anything ever happens to you, you know, you're amazing, you're happy, you're free, you don't have any fear. You know, they're like kids. You know, children who just want to jump into a pool. They don't know they can't swim. They don't think it's dangerous. What do they do? Jump. And when trauma happens to them, and they almost drown, it tells them a story. Water is bad. You are going to die. And now we have many people who are afraid to. Because something happened when they were smaller. So what trauma, what trauma would want you to do is write a whole nother chapter, a whole nother way of functioning so that this now becomes the you. But God is saying, I know who you are and you are this before the trauma. So the story that we are in operating in our relationships is I don't want to swim. We're over here, God is saying, but you have dominion over the sea and the things in the sea. And your body is 70% water. You can handle the water. You can float on it. You can dive into it. You can ride a boat on it. The water, don't worry about the water because you are created in my image. You understand? Second Samuel 4. Second Samuel 4, 4. And Jonathan saw son had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings of Saul came, and Jonathan out of their, uh, out of their, whatever, wherever the place is. So, and his nurse took him up. His nurse that was supposed to be helping him, he was five years old, his nurse took him up and ran. And it came to pass as she was running that he fell and became lame. Jonathan is his father. Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul. Mephibosheth is royalty. He's a prince. His nurse is trying to help him and ends up injuring him. And now he's lame. Let's go to 2 Samuel verse 9 as we rush through the rest of this here. You getting something today? I'm going to tell you what to do with it too. I'm not just going to leave you there. Okay. Okay. 2 Samuel 9. 2 Samuel 9. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 3. Jonathan has a son which is lame on his feet. Everybody knew that Mephibosheth was lame. And now you see they're not even calling him by his name. They're calling him by his condition. And if you accept the results of trauma and don't process it properly then you will now identify yourself by that and so others identify you the same. So now we say things like in our marriage, they always do that. They'll never stop doing that. That's just who they are. Is it? Verse 4, And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, 
He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amnel, in Lodabar. King, he is in Lodabar. He is living below the bar of his highest expectations. He is living below the bar of his identity. He is living below the bar of his prosperity. He is living below the bar of his position. Oh, king, he has separated himself and he is living below the bar. Verse 5, and King David sent him to go get him from Lodabar. Verse 6, and he fell when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth. Do you know the name Mephibosheth means the one who destroys shame? He wasn't even living up to his basic name. And so his attack of shame came to destroy him. Then the, the, the Bible says here, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, verse 6, was come unto David and he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, your servant. And David said, Fear not, I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore to you the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, Wait, what is your servant? That you should look upon such a dead dog as me. I was running. I was a prince. Somebody was to protect me. And they injured me. And I've been in low the bar. I've been separated. King, don't you know? I'm I'm not there anymore. And David was like, what? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given unto your master's son all that was Saul's and all that was his house. Therefore, you and your house and your sons and your servants will work the land for him. Listen, he may be lame, but you will work it for him. Listen, okay? And thou shalt bring him in the fruits from thy master's son that shall have to eat. Mephibosheth shall eat at my table. Verse 11, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. You see, David understood that the mirror that Mephibosheth was looking in was his injury and his hurt. But he wanted him to know, the way I see you is clear as day. This is the reflection. God is saying, you look just like me. I know you think that's who you are. And so you're crying and you're hurt and you're wounded and you brought that to your marriage. But I want you to know, oh Simba, I know who you are. I'm sorry, Rafiki, but my father has died. You are not correct. Follow old Rafiki to the water's edge. Look. Look closer. He lives in you. So today, 
I just want to appeal to you. What do you do, Pastor Sarah? You have to marshal your thoughts by the Word of God. You have to set your identity on the Word of God. You have to really go study scriptures on the love of God for you. How precious are the lives of his saints. See, I have placed you in the palm of my hand, says Isaiah. Peter says you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Zechariah says what? You are the apple of my eye. Philippians says we have the mind of Christ. Romans says nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor things past or things to come. Take time to cultivate your rightful identity in Christ through the word. This week, begin to receive the love of God so that when you're relating, you're not relating out of a negative. You're relating out of a positive. So when you're hearing things, you're not hearing things based on the fun mirror that's not funny. You're hearing it through a clear set of eyes so that you can understand when something is coming to you for you to do better. It's not because they don't love you. It is because they love you. For God only corrects whom he But you can accept correction when you're healthy. The other thing is, as you're going through this transition, you need a wing mirror. Like on those trucks. These are people who see your blind spots when you can't see it. You can't have only yes people in your life. When you're upset with your wife, you're upset with your husband, and those people go, I wouldn't do that too. You right. They wrong. You need a wingman that's going to say, you're pulling over into somebody else's lane. Move back. Your speed is too high. Something's coming up on the inside of you. You need accountability. Because your trauma will always want to pull you back. But the love of God pulls you forward. Accountability. So if you're here today and I hope you understand the word is the only thing that converts the soul. It's the only thing that heals the soul. It's the only thing that says, yes, I understand. They didn't like you, but I love you. You've been through a lot, but I was here with you and I'm still here. So I want to encourage you today. If you know and you can see that you're looking through the wrong reflection, that you make a commitment today to be more committed to the word of God in your life as it pertains to who you are. Anyone agree with me on that? Amen. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I so love you. Father, this topic is so dear to my heart because 
God, with all the different things that I've gone through, I realize the enemy was trying to rescript my novel. But your word came and healed us. And so, Lord, I just thank you for every marriage couple here, married couple. And I ask God that you do something significant in their heart. That they'll back down. That all the tension and aggression. That they'll be able to see Lord. Maybe it's not even them talking. Maybe it's a trauma talking. Maybe right now I'm not encountering the actual person. I'm encountering a portrayal or projection of something else. God I ask for grace in our relationships. I ask that we give grace to one another. I ask God that we unconditionally love one another. I ask that we see more than what meets the eye. I ask that we pray for one another. That we pray about one another. I ask God that we go on our knees and say, Lord, how can I build my house today? How can I love my spouse today? What can I do, Lord, to reflect you today? God, I pray that our hunger and thirst will not just be doing our own thing, but God, to build our house as well so we reflect you in the earth. Lord, I thank you. I rebuke every demonic force, every division, every device, every unholy alliance, every ungodly influence that would come into the relationship. I come against every lie and I cast it out in the name of Jesus. And I declare and I decree, God, that it will not be named among us in divorces. It will not be named among us in abuses. It will not be named among us. But God, we will be healthy. We will be whole. And we will be complete. In Jesus' name. Now, if there's anyone here today and you've never made a commitment,